Welcome to the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast. We are your hosts, Tyson Day and Daniel Lenardi. Our podcast is designed to give you fresh perspectives, educational insights, and future workforce predictions to make sure you thrive on your career journey. Regularly, we are joined by thought leaders, life learners, and generally amazing humans who bring an approach just like us, casual, relaxed, and curious. Please remember to subscribe and share this podcast with your community, as we would love all individuals to thrive in their career journey. Developing a career portfolio can be easier said than done, especially at the age of 21. Janhin Tanvia is a 21-year-old multicultural youth advocate, author, two-time TEDx speaker, and policy advisor at the Consumers Health Forum of Australia, as well as an optometry student. Janhin possesses a strong background in youth advocacy, education, and healthcare in leading youth-led organisations such as Oak Tree, World Vision, Multicultural Youth Advocacy Network, Red Cross, and Headspace, just to name a few. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Echo Chamber Escape, Australia's diversity-first publication that empowers multicultural people and promotes diversity for young people of colour. Janhin provides a great insight into his journey so far and shares the work and projects that are so close to his heart. We hope you enjoy the episode. Arrive and Thrive would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we recorded this podcast and pay our respects to their elders, leaders past, present and emerging. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of the Arrive and Thrive Career Podcast. Dan and I are here with Jahin Tanvir. Uh, Jahin, welcome to the podcast. How are you going? Fantastic to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, and you're one of our get- first guests that we're speaking to in 2022. Um, and, you know, boys, how was your break? What did you get up to on the break, Dan? Um, welcome, Jahin. It's nice to meet you. I'm looking forward to our chat tonight um i went up the east coast up to noosa byron bay canberra um and did a bit of a road trip with my girlfriend so that was really good a good break what did you two get up to guess first jahin please (laughs) what an honor what an honor um i had a very similar break as well went down on a road trip to wollongong canberra and then to the coast for a bit um with all all that's happening in the world right now i just thought a bit of a breather around nature is the best you know, best treatment. Awesome, man. You're going to get along fine with us, buddy, if, um, you know, you're tapping into the nature nature piece. Um, boys, I pretty much kept it local. I, it looks like I missed the memo on the road trip. Um, but, yeah, just kept it nice and chilled here in Mornington and um, went to the beach most days with my little daughter and, and wife, which was awesome. So, um, so, yeah, but we could, you know, we could talk about our break until the cows come home. But the real reason why you're here, mate, is to um, share your incredible story. Now, I've, what I've got here is that you're the co-founder and CEO of Echo Chamber Escape. Um, and it's Australia's diversity first publication that empowers multicultural people and promotes diversity for young people of colour. You're also a two-time uh, TEDx speaker um, and you've covered topics on racism, discrimination and how to overcome it in Australia. There's also a lot of other stuff too that you're an author and I've seen that you've um, been featured on a couple of TV programs as well, talking about some of these topics. But to be honest, you probably do a lot better than I would in terms of introducing yourself. So share with our listeners, um, you know, who you are and what you do. Oh, fantastic. No, um, 
honestly, when it comes to roles and stuff, I get a bit um, shy whenever I talk about these things because it's always a collective effort from the people I work with. But um, yeah, so I'm 21. I've, I'm a fourth year optometry student. My passions always lie and have always lied in healthcare. I'm a massive um, advocate when it comes to healthcare, Australia's healthcare system and just health and fitness and well-being in general. Um, but parallel to that, I've also been involved in advocacy quite a lot ever since I graduated high school, which is now what, since 2018. So I'm a big um, fan of just advocating for issues that really don't get t- um, spoken about as much as it should be. And also, you know, coming from a first generation migrant background, there's just so much that happens behind the scenes that really don't get um, noticed or any awareness um, around it. So that's always been a part of me, which I'm like, you know, I'll do my career, I'll progress as much as I can, but I'll also ensure advocacy is a uh, pertinent component to what I'm doing because fundamentally that's what I believe in. Mm. That's awesome, man. So so take us back to um, your childhood and, and what that looked like and, and how your, your, I suppose, involvement in some of these causes first began. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so I graduated high school in 2018 and from a very childhood time period, I've always been the very shy kid, the timid, shy, quiet, quiet person in the class. Um, that's how I've been since I think I'd say about year nine, year 10. I've always been very afraid of judgment. I've had a stutter from a very young age. So that sort of contributed to my inability to communicate as much as I would have wanted to. Socializing was quite hard with a lot of anxiety. But I remember hitting year 10 and I was just at a point in life, um, even though I was quite young, I had a bit of an epiphany where I was just like, I want to get out of this shell. I wasn't happy. I was quite miserable being the quiet kid, always being referred to as, oh, that guy doesn't speak, you know, oh, he doesn't talk talk much. And I just didn't enjoy um, anything in that regard. So I just thought, okay, I want to change. I've got goals and ambitions that I want to take as I get older. I need to start taking actions. Um, And so basically just taking small steps from year 10, even like simple steps like talking more in class or asking more questions to approaching someone from another class um, at lunch or recess and just saying, hey, this is me. Do you like sports? And just starting a random conversation, just small steps. And that sort of helped me break out of the shell um, and just become a different person. Like I always wanted to have that overnight um, transition, but that's not realistic. So it took a few years um, for me to just, you know, get out of that shell and really you know, become the person I really want to be when it comes to my career and personality. So yeah, as a child, very quiet kid, but a lot of development came into that. Mm. Mate, I've got to ask, like, what was the, was there a, a catalyst moment that made you go, you know, I want to change in, and in, in particularly in year 10, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I think there was like a culmination of a few events where, you know, you'd have social settings or sports settings and since you're quiet, you're always the last one picked for a sports team, for instance, or um, if there's leadership roles at school, which at the time when, when you're in the bubble of school, that's so, you know, um, prestigious, you know, being selected as a prefect or like a school leader. And every time there would be things like that and you'd get unnoticed, you wouldn't even be given a chance to talk about it or give a speech regarding it. And I just kept on seeing that just being passed on because again I'm that quiet kid that quintessential example of what it means to be you know essentially a nobody because you don't speak enough 
and I just got frustrated and quite miserable. And, you know, watching, I remember watching a lot of YouTube videos of people saying, oh, I used to be this type of person, but then I became confident and these are the steps I did and just getting inspired by that. And I thought, why can't I do that? You know, even though I come from a different background from the people that I've been watching, um, the principles and fundamentals are very similar. The struggles they've been through, I'm going through the age they've been through with those struggles. I'm at that age. So it was just a culmination of a lot of uh, difficulties, which made me go, you know, I need to change. And that, you know, sort of caused a spark in me. And I feel like, you know, that was probably the best decision I've ever made in my life in terms of, you know, identifying it at a young age, but also saying, okay, I'm going to take actions towards it. Mm-hmm. Now, mate, you know, when you when you finish high school in Australia, for a lot of our um, listeners who are, are either um, international students who haven't been, you know, exposed to the Australian high school system, quite often there's that level of decision making around okay so what are you going to do after high school what are you going to go study and and all those types of things did you always know that you wanted to to study optometry and go into like healthcare well i think i've always had a very innate passion for healthcare i didn't know specifically what i wanted to do but i knew i wanted to be involved in some sort of servitude patient centered care area of life i i often to other people whenever they ask me why you choose optometry i always say i sit in a in a quite quite a poetic lens where it's like being able to give people vision or help them see better that's like a, an aspect of life which gives me a lot of joy similar to other things like you know being a doctor or being a physiotherapist in other healthcare fields you're obviously helping and um treating patients but for me it was just like the human conditioning comes from the eye and I thought, if I can do anything as a career, uh, I want to be able to allow people to see better, not only physically, but also, you know, with wisdom, um, advocacy, and just the ultimate, you know, human experience. So I guess that sort of pushed me towards optometry. And then as soon as I started, I realized, okay, I have a lot of other interests as well, parallel to my, you know, sole career of, uh, of optometry. And so it took a bit more of a multifaceted, unorthodox trajectory um, but it's fulfilled me a lot because everything comes back to that whole idea of the human conditioning and being able to provide service to others before anything. I love that. That's so good, being able to see physically, but then also see <laughs> metaphorically or <laughs> philosophically. Yeah, it's perfect, isn't it? Yeah. And when you said, Jahin, that you, you knew you wanted to be in healthcare, how did that sort of epiphany or decision-making process happen for you? Well, I think it's just whenever I used to see people in healthcare, whether that be through movies or going to the doctors myself, I'd always see it as such a noble career, as such a noble profession where as soon as something goes wrong, everybody looks at like doctors, please, is there a doctor? Is there a healthcare professional? Like they're always seen as that leader, almost like superhero-like character that always pops up and says, I'm here, let me fix the situation. (laughs) And so from a young age, being into like superhero comics and everything, um, if you're not like a police officer, a firefighter, the more sensible one or someone who doesn't really have the physical traits or athletic athleticism to be in those professions, I thought, okay, healthcare, that's the closest thing. And also I come from a South Asian background. So healthcare is always seen as such a safe and, you know, um, sensible option to take. So I realized, okay, I see myself in this field and I also see my parents being fulfilled with me and how they've raised me. So 
two birds, one stone, essentially. Daniel, yeah, can I ask one more question? Yeah, you go, Ty. I'm just going to say, I'm waiting for the day where someone goes, is there a career counsellor here? I need a career counsellor. <laughs> we can just over and go, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> we got it halfway through COVID in 2020. <laughs> um, the great resignation. No, yeah. Jaheen, when you said talk about your, like, you know, half fulfilling your parents, you know, what they want for your career, Coming from a South Asian background, how much is that a genuine concern on young people's minds and how much of a concern was it on your mind? Well, if there's any South Asian listeners or just anybody from immigrant backgrounds listening, I'm sure they'll, they'll agree with me when I say it's about 90%. Um, the prestige and expectations of parents never leave your mind. Every decision you make, you always have this added pressure that, what is my mom going to say? What is my dad going to say? And a lot of the times it's because we have this sort of societal structure in the South Asian community where it's all about comparison. It's all about, okay, my son or daughter is doing this. What's someone else doing? Are they doing better? Are they doing something that's higher status? Uh, use that in very loose terms. And so the pressure from a very young age, especially in academics, you're ingrained into the idea that you have to be better than others. You have to work hard. You have to have a good job. You have to, you know, bring the moral and support and, you know, status up for your parents. And so it's, it's very draining. It's very emotionally stressful. Um, there's many periods where you just go, I, do I really want to do this or am I doing it for other people? Um, but I've been you know, very grateful to have uh, parents who are supportive of what I'm doing. There's definitely been instances where I felt like I've, had the pressure to do things because it's seen uh, to be better or um, I know the community will accept it more. But uh, when my parents see what I'm doing, especially at this age now, they're much more supportive. They realize, okay, there's results coming out of it. It's not just me spending time on things that they don't understand, like you know, public speaking, for instance. That's unheard of uh, when it comes to South Asian communities. It's like you're either behind a desk or you're treating patients like what is public speaking <laughs> are you a clown on stage like <laughs> so yeah there's That's been so a lot good. of yeah intergenerational conversations there mm. i always thought it was a little bit around the um collective culture versus individualistic does that come into it as well yeah for sure um it, it comes from the idea that again comparison i think that's the main word i can um, sum everything up with the whole idea that you know status is so important how you're seen by other people um, we have this joke from a lot of south asian kids these days it's all about what will other people think if i make this decision to do this career or this passion or this thing that's going to fulfill me before anything it'll be like okay what will other people think of this decision which is so toxic and really you know abhorrent to think about but that's how we've been raised and it's how our parents have been raised, how our grandparents have been raised. So um, it's a cultural shift that we're all making as young people from these backgrounds um, now. So um, hopefully our children will definitely not face this and we can allow them to be more flexible with their career choices, ambitions, um, and just be more educated in that, in that regard, because it's, you know, detrimental to mental health. Like I've seen so many, people from South Asian backgrounds, from Middle Eastern backgrounds, from immigrant backgrounds who just, you know, are spiraling with their mental health because they're doing something they don't enjoy. They're continuously thinking about other people 
and what they're going to think, the judgment, the fear of judgment. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very toxic culture. But one thing I've realized is we're slowly getting out of it with a lot of more youth and a lot more conversations that are being happening. It's awesome to hear. Mate, when you start, like when you're talking about, you know, some of these, these big, big issues that, in my opinion, Australia faces, you know, on a day-to-day basis around, you know, youth advocacy, um, racism and, and some of these important components that I think doesn't necessarily get the exposure they need. Um, you know, from an ambassador perspective in, in your mind, what can we do as a society to be to let, like lean more into these important issues? Yeah, um, I think the best way I can start that off is just to give young people the time of day. Um, most issues that I feel like when it comes to racism or youth empowerment or anything to do with young people, all we're asking for is just to get a seat on the table, just to have a contribution to a conversation that's been happening. And you just don't get that. You know, you see so many panel discussions or TV interviews or um, different decision rooms or decision makers coming together in conferences and you barely see young people contributing to that. You know, young people have such unique lived experience, such unique social determinants, Um, And it's just not being given any light or any, you know, sort of recognition in that capacity. So being able to be given a voice is is so important. You know, uh, in my last three years in this advocacy field, I've realized a lot of the times whenever, like, for instance, when I've been on TV, people just flock to you and say, thank you so much for sharing that. I've been suffering with that for the last two, three years or uh, I've been thinking that, but I never knew how to articulate it properly. And you realize people just have so much to say, especially young people, but they're just never given an opportunity to express that. And so I think being given an opportunity, whether it's in media or in, in a boardroom or just uh, part of the decision-making process is so vital because you know people, young people have so much to say, but they're just not given the time of day to um, express that properly. Mm. Do you, do you guys think that that's a do you think that's a global issue or do you think that there's any particular countries that do it quite well? Um, like for me personally, I've only ever really seen like maybe a few Scandinavian countries do it relatively relatively well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just fascinated because I, I agree. Like I think there's a lot of moments where it would be really appropriate to like get more youth. Um, opinions floated across mainstream media and, and things like that, but um, yeah, it's, it seems like the, there's there's a few layers to the, the the challenge of actually that actually that occurring. Yeah, and I think I also think there's a bit of a generational gap as well that exists there because when it comes to young people, traditionally or stereotypically, if you're in that age group of like sixteen to twenty two, you're you're put into that bracket of, oh, they're young people. They're just going to go party. They don't care about these things. They care about, you know, freedom, doing all these um, things like letting loose and all that. But the reality is obviously young people enjoy that, but we still do care about a lot of things, especially things that are affecting us in our futures, like climate change, healthcare, the pandemic, pandemic responses, vaccines. And so I think getting out of that mindset that young people don't care um, when most of our leaders are what, 60 70 years old um is quite a shame so more education and awareness in that department i think will allow a cultural shift but yeah that generational gap is very um difficult to overcome sometimes 
it's interesting too because I think it's a bit of a societal shift as well because if you cast your mind back like 40, 50 years pre-internet or even 20 years pre-internet, it was hard for a young person, let's say 16, 17, 18, 19, to genuinely have the awareness or education or access to information. They probably didn't start going to libraries until, you know, upper high school, university, whereas now you can genuinely get a 20, 21-year-old who's more read up on a topic than maybe a 50-year-old purely just because they've got access to the internet. And they know how to so find think, it too. And they know how to find it and stuff mm. like that. So it's, it's a generalisation, but I think, yeah, young people now can compete, I think, a lot better on a lot of different topics versus probably what they could 30 years ago. Yeah, it's a really good point, isn't it? It's like the adju- it's like the adjustment of the older generations going, wait a second, these young people actually know what they're talking about. They're actually educated on some of these issues more so than perhaps some of the people that we would traditionally go to um, to form, us opi- form opinions on these types of things. So I think it's a, a really good point. Mate, I can it, relate to yeah. it myself. Like when, when we've had young people like you, Jaheen, like under 23 on the podcast, and we've probably had about, what, seven or eight. And like it's blown my mind every time because when I was 20, 21, 19, I definitely wasn't at that level. And I'm only 34 now, but you can definitely relate, I think, to um, smashing those barriers down, I guess, of – you know, people thinking, oh, young people just, you know, out having fun and just socialising and doing whatever. It's very different now, I think. Mate, I've got to ask, how did you first get into these, like, ambassador roles and, like, being an advocate in more of a public forum? Because um, I think there'd be a lot of uni students who, who are, you know, a similar situation to you who obviously enjoying their degree, you know, really getting a lot out of their, their main focus of study, um, but then also wanting to, you know, do more than just volunteer their time. And, and I see, you know, a, part, a lot of the time people like yourself, like there was like that, that opportunity where the door was slightly open and you just grabbed it with both hands. Like was there a particular moment like that for you? Yeah, for sure. So it's a bit of an interesting journey that I've had um, mainly it was born out of uh, misery, to say the least. Um, so I grew up in Sydney for about 17 years of my life. My schooling, family, friends have all been there for university. I decided to move to Canberra because I got an opportunity which I just couldn't um, you know, pass on. So moved to Canberra all alone. And my first year university, I remember feeling so lost because one, I didn't know anyone in Canberra. Canberra is such a cultural shift compared to Sydney. University life is obviously quite difficult uh, when you don't know anyone. Making friends when there's a massive cultural shift as well um, was a bit of a difficulty. So I found a lot of my days in first year uh, university just studying, working a normal retail job, coming back home and sleeping and just repeating that cycle for like one entire semester. And I sort of got to a point where I was just like, okay, this isn't doing me any good. I just feel lonely. I feel um, you know, like I'm not connecting with anyone let me do something. So it started off, um, as you mentioned, just wanting to volunteer first and foremost. I felt like if I volunteer uh, for things I care about, like young people's issues or mental health organizations, I'll at least meet people um, who are young, who are you know sort of close to my age range, because in my degree, a lot of people weren't close to my age range. Um, there was just a diverse group of, of healthcare professionals who've already had degrees compared to um, recent school, school leavers. So 
I had to sort of find my my tribe in in a sense. So started volunteering, um, sent out a bunch of emails, basically saying, "Hey, I'm an 18 year old first year student. Um, I'd love to volunteer an hour or two. Um, can I get involved?" I think I sent about a hundred to 150 emails in in that year, literally that same template um, to different organizations in Canberra. Um, and then a few got back to me, like Headspace, for instance, mental health organization, um, United Nations young, Youth, which is you know primarily around young people. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Um, I'm volunteering. That's my expectation. I'll meet people. I'll grow like that. And as things go, I think I got quite lucky in that department as well, because um, as you mentioned, Tyson, once you get, start getting involved, those doors start creeping open just a little bit. Uh, for me to be like, okay, there's an opportunity. Let me jump towards it. And that opportunity came in, in the form of a panel um, at ANU, Australian National University, where they asked me if I wanted to be part of a panel discussion about young people and the Asia Pacific. Um, basically, I'm the young person representative and the panel discussion had like like CEOs, um, you know, researchers, senior lecturers, just me being a young person, you know, representative. So I was like, of course. I'm getting paid for it as well. Fantastic. First year student, I'm broke. I need the money. So let me do it. it. This all came because I started volunteering and that's how they found me. So I was like, let me do that. Cool. When I went to the event, when I did the experience, when I spoke, something just clicked in me where I was just like, wow, this is, this is so cool. Like not only is this different, but I feel so fulfilled. Like I feel like I've made an impact, you know, just being able to speak and the audience just listen to me and nod their heads and then come back to me after the panel and give me the business card and say, Hey, if you want to um, chat and grab coffee, I'd love to know about your journey or what you want to do in your future and just people resonating with me. Um, and so that panel discussion sort of, you know, paved the pathway for me for I was where I was like, okay, doing extracurricular stuff like this does pay off. Like obviously there's a monetary side to it, but in terms of making meaningful impact, I don't experience this at university. Like I go to university to just get that piece of paper, to get that grade, to you know progress. But to actually feel like I'm part of something that's bigger than myself, to feel like I'm doing something that other people are resonating with, especially when it comes to young people's issues, which, which is something I've always been very passionate about. It just you know made me go, okay, I want to do more. And um, same formula again, I continued volunteering every time a door would open up or an email would come through, I'd be like, yes, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. And, you know, it got to a stage now three years in where saying yes to a lot of things that I'm passionate about and not just saying yes, saying yes, I will do that. I'm excited. <laughs> you know, a lot of the times we have this mentality where it's like, oh, I'll do it. Yes, uh, I'll do that. But that's not like a healthy way. If you want to do something, it has to be a hell yes. It can't just be like, yeah, I'll do it. Because that's where the excitement comes from. That's where you find fulfillment. And so a lot of those opportunities came to me and did the best I could. Um, and yeah, it all started from volunteering and just trying to find connections, people. And, you know, I've been so fortunate in the last three years for the opportunities I've had, the people I've met, the collaborations, the, the things I've been, you know, able to meet and experience. It's been, it's been crazy. Even in the pandemic year, being able to be on TV, for instance, and talk about young people and the vaccine rollout talk about over-policing and young people, discrimination, all these things. It's It's been incredible. And I'm eternally grateful for that one volunteering opportunity and that one panel discussion that really instilled that joy in me to be like, okay, 
this is service to others as well in a form. So yeah, that's, that's my journey in a very um, summarized nutshell. <laughs> I love it. Me too. Can I ask a question or have you got something, Ty? No, you go, Danny. I've got one, oh. but, um, you know. No, you go, you no, go no, first. No, 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 you go first, bro. <laughs> I know you've got a good one. I had a mind blank, though, so I want you, <laughs> I want you to go. <laughs> Mate, so moving forward, like, let's, so when are you due to finish your, um, your course? So I just finished my bachelor's last year, so yep. I've got a year and a half of my master's left. Is there any moments where you're you're thinking, hang on a second, maybe I could do this 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 um, you know multicultural advocate speaker ambassador role like full time? And has there been any conflict within your mind there of putting your studies on hold or or pursuing this particular area, or is it or has that never come across your mind? Every morning, <laughs> I wake up every morning when I whenever I get emails and I look at my calendar. And I'm just like, should I? <laughs> should yeah, yeah. I take the leap? Um, but I think it again, it comes back to that basic fundamental value for me, where it's like, if I'm not enjoying it, that's when I'll change. That's when I'll you know pursue something else. But at this point in time, I am enjoying optometry. I am enjoying you know advocacy, public speaking. And even though there are times where I do feel insanely overwhelmed, where my calendar is just every hour meeting, meeting or event like that, but I've realized a bit of hustle like that does pay off. And um, I do want to get that piece of paper, that elusive piece of paper, that degree, those two degrees, um, so that my mom, for, for, for instance, will feel um, a bit more reassured about life and what, what she um, brought into this world. Um, and you know, then I feel like after I get my degree, I can sort of take a bit more risk um, because I have something to fall back on rather than having nothing and being like, okay, I'm going to just dive into the deep end. Um, so yeah, that's been my sort of frame of mind. Just finish what I started and then take more risks and see where it goes because I'm very open to different things in different locations, but I, I'm a big believer in finishing off what you started, even if it's difficult. So yeah, the next few years will be quite um, important, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsorship. Are you currently looking for a new role? Do you find the process of writing a resume frustrating and annoying, but don't want to pay for a resume writer? Here at Arrive and Thrive, we want to make sure job seekers have access to these services at an affordable price. We are excited to launch our resume automation platform powered by Zygiverse. You can find all the features that you may need in developing a resume that lands you the interview and makes your personal brand stand out. To jump in and start creating your resume today, click the link in the bio. Thank you so much. Let's jump back in. Jaheen, you make a lot of links to your values. Um, have you had someone help you go through that? Have you found something online or YouTube where you sort of made that connection between value importance with career? Yeah, um, I've, I'd say I've been quite privileged to have a lot of mentors in life, um, starting from my family, my mother. Um, I've had family members who instilled values of like kindness, integrity from a very young age. I actually have um, three words on my wall. Number one, integrity. Number two, kindness. Number three, impact. I, I have that. I wake up every day looking at those three values. Um, but then just having mentors in other aspects of life as well, like, I'm not, I'm not a believer in um, just 
one mentor for life. I think you should have a mentor for every aspect of your life, like your career, your personal life, um, your finances, your fitness. And so just learning so much from different people um, has really shown me that fundamentally everything comes back to what, what your identity is and what values you hold. Because when you're going through hardships, when you're going through moments where you just feel like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed, is this even worth it? You come back to your values and that's what reminds you of why you're doing this. That's your why. Because a lot of times, especially with the pandemic, I've had instances where I'm just like, should I continue because this is so hard or I'm up at 3 a.m. you know, <laughs> doing emails and I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and then I look at my wall and I remember my values and I'm like, okay, this is why I'm doing this. And so the fun comes from the idea that I'm doing this because I believe in this. I'm not doing this for anyone else or that whole toxic culture of doing it because I'm, you know, racing someone else. I'm doing this because I can be happy and that kid who's who was the shy kid in class can also be happy. Um, so yeah, my values are the backbone of everything that I do. Yeah. Can I ask one more thing as well? Um, a lot of our guests on the podcast have um, portfolio careers. How have you found your own career and your study um, with the, that foundation of having lots of different experiences? Yeah, so initially um, I was quite hesitant in, in that sense because whenever somebody would see me doing like optometry and then you know, public speaking or consultancy, they'd always criticize and say, why are you doing so much? Like, is it even worth it? And most of these comments would come from, you know, people like at university, like lecturers or um, individuals who've had careers or like one, one stable career all their life. And I've had moments where I've doubted myself and I'm like, is this even worth it? Like, are they right? Is, is there even a point of doing three, four, five things at once? But over time, in the last three years, since I started my journey, I've realized I would have never been able to have the opportunities, meet the people or um, feel the level of fulfillment that I've been able to have if I just, you know, stayed in my lane, as they say. Um, opportunities open up the more you diversify yourself. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a line that has really... Um, resonated with me where they say increase your surface area so whenever it comes to whatever you're doing whether it's personal branding your career your fitness increase opportunities because the more you increase your surface area the more opportunities will come to you because you're just out there as like this you know um, person with so many things happening and then opportunities will come to you if you're just staying in one lane obviously it's better to focus on that and there's a lot more attention to detail but opportunities will only come to you in that exclusive field like for instance if i just did optometry i my whole life would just be i care i you know health um which honestly i'd get quite bored of if i'm just talking about blindness okay i blindness you know now i've been able to have variety and say okay uh, i'm doing advocacy let me advocate for my patients now you know i'm if i'm you know writing an article or giving a ted talk i'm better able to speak to patients and really uh, motivate them rather than just saying, okay, this is the medication, this is the diagnosis, you know, bugger off. I can actually say, okay, this is why you need the medication. Please do take it. This is imperative for your health. And being able to articulate that more with that patient-centered care. So I realized if you do more, the skills that you learn are just not only universal, but they're so transferable, um, especially when it comes to things like, you know, communication, public speaking, um, so I do, if anybody is ambitious about anything listening right now, just 
just take that leap. Um, I think one mistake that we make is we're just so afraid of judgment, afraid of criticism from other people, um, their own experiences being a reflection of our insufficiencies, which is not true. Their criticism is just a reflection of their, you know, doubts, their insecurity. So take that leap of faith, even if it doesn't work out for a year or two, eventually it will, because consistency does pay off. I love it. Ty, can I relate the question, or not the question, but the the topic to you? Like, have you noticed a shift in the last four or five years with, because you remember we used to chat like, you know, 2016, 2017, and when, when the, the portfolio career wasn't really in, on trend then. And remember, we used to sort of be doing a little bit of it ourselves when we started Arrive and Thrive. And we'd always be like, oh, how's our work going to take it? Or we'd chat to people and they'd be like, oh, can I do this little thing on the side? And it was always a big deal. Whereas I've sort of noticed the last year or two, it's probably since COVID too, it's it's really shifted. Have you seen that as well? And what are your takes? Yeah, definitely, man. I think, um, I think there's a few... Um, special i think it's very circumstantial too so like i think some industries that that type of thing is just is frowned upon because they demand for you to be fully 100 percent committed and in their eyes that's what that looks like um and so it can be hard for people to have to feel like they can you know step away and involve themselves in a cause that they they feel um they feel like that's really important to them but I agree. I think there's a trend now for organisations to really embrace that. Um, I think I've said on the show before that um, I've worked with a couple of clients where like their their natural work day for their organisation is four days a week and then the fifth day is a passion-focused day. So they actually have to write a report to the organisation and demonstrate, you know, what they're working on. It could be you know, it could be something as starting a podcast. It could be a father or a mother who just wants to spend more time with their kids. So they go into the the organization and, and share what they've been doing with their kids on their on their passion day. And so I think that type of um, experience of bringing more your personal passions, if you can't meet these in your work, I think it's demonstrated enough already that that it's a positive thing. Like you know, you're more if you're more happy, you more you feel more fulfilled. You're naturally going to be more engaged and more um productive as a bottom line for, for the organization so i think it's yeah something that's being really embraced mm. and like um you said Jahin, you get more skills and the skills that are transferable and mindsets or you learn different things and it starts to become like a bit of a cross collaboration almost in your own in your own skill set yeah absolutely and like danny if you don't mind man like you know i think with your own careers that's a classic example too of like you know we started the podcast oh maybe like two two and a half nearly three years ago now and now you're focusing more on careers in the digital space at rmit like i think you know you just never know where it's going to come from yeah it's so true so true mm. now jaheen mate when when you are, you know, an optometrist and, you know, you're running your own clinic and all these types of cool things, if that's what you want to do, um, you know, what, where do you see the work of advocacy fitting in within the community space? Like for you when you're more, when, when you're older, like at the moment you're already making such a big impact at, at 21. Where do you see that or where would you like to see your impact when you're a little bit older? Yeah, I think I've, I've decided that I just want to be an advocate for life. You know how they say lifelong learner? I want to be a lifelong advocate. 
And I think when it comes to the healthcare field, for instance, before being an optometrist, before being a healthcare professional, you're an advocate for health. You're an advocate for the patient. So I think that's sort of the mindset that I take that even if I'm, you know, an optometrist by day in the clinic, you know, four or five days a week, I still want to practice the skills that I've learned, like being able to speak properly, um, putting the patient first. But in an ideal world, I'd, I'd love to, you know, as um, you know, yourself and Daniel mentioned, uh, the whole idea of maybe working four days as my day job and then after hours or on a Friday or on the weekend, having my you know, passion projects, like maybe starting up an advocacy organization or collaborating with another organization or just speaking at an event. One thing that I've loved um, in the last six months is just traveling, being able to be given the opportunity to travel and speak at different events and for people to fly me out and give me a commendation because they value my words. I don't see anything more beautiful than that, like being able to provide value in that sense. And so, um, yeah, I I love the hectic lifestyle. So the whole idea of like scheduled uh, meetings and things back to back. So I do want to continue that. Obviously that might change with a family um, and all those things in the future. But as of right now, my mentality is I always want to be a lifelong advocate for whatever I'm doing and hopefully be able to delegate and learn um, and just create something in the future. I, don't, I never want to stop creating. I never want to stop speaking. It's just, you know, dependent on my priorities at that time in life. That's super neat, man. Like that, that's actually the first time I've ever heard the term like being a lifelong advocate. Um have you ever heard that term before, Danny? No, I haven't. I haven't. It's good. It's so sick because, like, I think a lot of people go, you know, I want to be a lifelong learner, and you're like, yeah, yeah absolutely, like, hundred percent growth mindset. Let's do it. But like, I've never, I've never heard someone say, you know, I just want to be a lifelong advocate. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who are, but it's a really cool phrase, and I think that's in my eyes. I think we'll hear more. Hopefully, we'll hear more young people or more people who care about these types of issues use that type of phrase because I think the the issues that you're talking about and that you're that you're um putting forward will evolve and i think being a lifelong advocate allows you to be across that for some time and draw that experience and and kind of see where that may change in the future to be able to even help more people yeah and if you ever see me write a book in the future you know the title of it Now, mate, good segue speaking of books um is there any we always ask our listeners you know what's their favorite book that they've really um, drawn a lot from. And, you know, I'm trying to change it up a little bit um, this year. Um, and I was thinking, you know, what what's is there a resource, um, either a book or a doco that you just went to through um, 2021 um, that you were just like, this was a game changer for my thinking or just changed your outlook when you got a lot from? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I can answer that in a very, you know, typical way when it comes to books things like atomic habits james clear you know these are ones that have you know changed so many people's lives as he did for me um maybe to take a bit of more of a like a different route in terms of documentaries and watching things i'm a big big fan of sports i'm a massive fan of athletes and the work ethic they use and i've realized you know work ethic does transfer from sports to you know your career for instance and your work so watching documentaries throughout 2021, like The Last Dance and um, Formula One, Drive to Survive, things like that. And just seeing the behind the scenes of what it takes to be at the top, the high performance, all these things. 
it's really like pushed me through. Like I've had instances where I'd be up at 2, 3 a.m., you know, writing emails or writing on documents and I wouldn't feel, you know, that demotivated because I'll have like Drive to Survive or something on because seeing them go through the physical tax um, environments, but it's also like the mental aspect of what it's like being a high-performance athlete. I take a lot from that, um, just their habits, their, what they're saying, their day-to-day lives, how they bounce back from, you know, very bad uh, performance. And yeah, that's been a massive take of me. I've, I've watched so many sports documentaries in 2021 with the time that I've had um, in, in pandemic. So yeah, I'd really recommend that. I think there's a lot to take when it comes to sports and it's such a universal thing. Sports all throughout the ages, you learn so much about um, just the human conditioning and how we bounce back and really deliver and perform as good as books are. I think seeing it face to face and seeing the behind the scenes is, is, is like you mentioned, the game changer. Mm, that's neat, have you man. seen 14 Peaks? Oh, so uh, good. No, I have not. I've, I've heard about it, but I have not. Yeah, give that a watch. It's it's similar lines to what you're saying. I'm mm. sure you'll enjoy it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Notes are written down. <laughs> you like that one, Ty? You are, oh, you're always man. good for a mountain doco, aren't you? I love a mountain doco, mate. <laughs> Another good one, boys, is um, The River Runner. If you get to see The River Runner, oh. that is pretty epic too. If you like those outdoor elite athlete ones. That's on Netflix too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Dan, any other questions, buddy? I know um, for me, I like, I just, Jaheen has been awesome. Like any other questions from your end? I just wanted to ask, I know you still only got a year or so to go with your optometry, but where do you see the future of optometry going for anyone out there who's, you know, interested in that profession? Yeah, but I honestly, like to put it like how my parents would put it, I think healthcare never goes out of stock um, when it comes to healthcare and patients. There'll always be diagnoses or things that you have to do no matter how much technology advances. So I think if you're interested in eyes <laughs> for, for, for um, the rest of your life and you're interested in healthcare and being able to you know, be in clinics or hospitals, I definitely would recommend it. Um, it is quite hard. There's a lot of work, a lot of content to manage. But if you're passionate about pa- pa- patient-centered care, I would definitely push forward um, and recommend it. Anyone, anything in healthcare, I'm 100% am an advocate for, um, especially with the whole um, you know, virtual reality and the, the metaverse that's coming. Your, your, your eyes are going to be occupied on so many things. So I don't think optometrists will run out of jobs anytime soon trying to fix all these people's eyes after being on like virtual reality for how many hours or <laughs> what it will be. So <laughs> I think it's a safe bet. Yeah, can, yeah. I, can I ask one more question? It's a little bit silly, but it is serious. Do, you, do your eyes really go square when you look at too much screens? <laughs> I mean, what I mean is how, how bad is looking at screens for a human eye? It's quite bad, um, especially long term. <laughs> So I, w- I would recommend in moderation and going into nature and, you know, if you if you have other outlets rather than being on screen all day, but, you know, it, it is quite bad. <laughs> and end it there. I want to go look out the window. Yeah. <laughs> go look at a horizon. Yeah. Um, Jane, mate, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, 
I, I know our listeners will really value um, a lot of your insights and, you know, you brought a really cool perspective um, about being a lifelong advocate um, amongst some other stuff. So, mate, how can people um, follow your updates and get involved with some of the work that you're doing? Yeah, well, I've got a website, uh, which is just myname.com, where if you have any inquiries or just want to chat, um, feel free to send me an email through the website. Um, but other than that, I'm on social media with, with my name. So if you want to reach out there as well, completely convenient. I, I, I love chatting with new people and seeing um, different perspectives. So very eager if anybody wants to reach out. Awesome, buddy. I'll, um, for listeners, I'll pop that in the, um, in the show notes. And just lastly too, mate, um, anything that you want to share about Echo Chamber Escape? Because um, I know we, we brushed over that at the start, but is there anything else you want to share about that? Uh, well, we, we only recently just launched. Um, I'm a big advocate for diversity and people from diverse backgrounds. So if anybody's listening and wants to know more stories about diverse um, people, we're a team of volunteers. So feel free to search up Echo Chamber Escape and read stories about and other people who are doing fantastic, phenomenal work um, around Australia. And um, yeah, if you're keen on diversity, we love it. Cool, man. Thanks so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you could please leave a review or share this episode with someone who is on the journey of developing a meaningful career, we would greatly appreciate it. Until next time, look after yourself and the people around you.